0: When our son, Antonio Marie Smith, was murdered while at his job on October the 30th, 2010, uh, we got the call, my wife and I did. And it was at that time that the Lord just kept us and was faithful to us. And in the midst of that tension-packed moment, when it was so easy to to hate, and to be vindictive. God conditioned my heart, changed my heart, and did something that only he can do. I believe that forgiveness is impossible unless God does it. And God enabled me to forgive the murderer, to love the murderer, and to still communicate with the murderer, and to believe that one day he will be redeemed and hopefully will be able to bow at the throne of God right next to Tony and worship the God who gave his life that all of us might be saved.
1: There's a man who can say, it is well with my soul. Uh, Robert Smith Jr. Oh, well, you all have heard him preach here at this pulpit at Windsor Road Christian Church several years ago when he came as our guest and he lectured at Urbana Theological Seminary's annual preaching forum. Sarah and I were in college with Robert back in Cincinnati in the early '80s, and what you did what you did not hear in that video. Was that in the early 80s? uh, Robert's first wife became ill while he was in school, while he was a parent, while he was pastoring a church, and she suddenly died. Um, He remarried. Um, He went on to earn his PhD. He now teaches at Beeson Divinity School in Alabama. Uh, his first wife died, his son was murdered, and he can sing, It Is Well With My Soul. How is that possible? What resources kept Robert's heart safe from resentment and bitterness? And are those resources available to us? Well, that's what I want us to consider this morning as we take our Bibles and turn to the Old Testament book of Exodus, Genesis, Exodus, Exodus chapter 12. If this is your first Sunday here at Windsor Road, we welcome you. We're in a teaching series over uh, the uh, Old Testament book of Exodus, and this morning we consider verses that speak of God's resources Verses that speak of God's provision for his people in a dark night of suffering. Exodus chapter 12, you'll find that on pages 53 and 54 of your church Bibles. These verses recount the Lord's plague on Egypt. And in these verses, we see a meal instituted, a plague executed, and a nation rescued and extracted from bondage. Meal, plague, rescue. That's what we see in Exodus chapter 12. It is a chapter about deliverance. I have asked in this series, does anybody need to be delivered? Yes, sir. Delivered from a past you cannot change? A wrong inflicted to you, a grudge you cannot shake, a wound, a relationship, an addiction holding you in bondage. Oh, make no mistake, this is not just a a Bible lesson. This is relevant, for it speaks of deliverance through judgment and mercy. Deliverance through judgment and mercy. That's what kept brother Robert Smith Jr. from Raging Resentment, and it will keep us too. This passage explains why, why those resources have been made available to us. And let me just get really personal, all right? You know, this week we'll be celebrating Thanksgiving, and most of us it will be a celebration, and we'll, Uh, have friends and family and joy will fill the air and it will be celebrated although for some it may be just simply tolerated. Um, We'll eat with grace required relatives. (laughs) Extra grace required relatives. (laughs) Be careful. Be careful. And others might need extra grace to eat with us. No. But seriously, we do pray that portion of the Lord's Prayer as we forgive those who trespass against us. How is that genuinely possible? And what resources empower us to that end? That's what I want us to learn in Exodus 12. What I want to do is I want to read Exodus 12, 1 through 13 and then I want to read two more verses from the New Testament John 129 John 129 and 1 Corinthians five 7, 1 Corinthians 57 but first let's hear from Exodus Exodus 12 the Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt this month shall be for you the beginning of months it shall be the first month of the year for you a male one-year-old. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats. You shall keep it until the 14th day of this month, when the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight. Then they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and the lintel of the houses in which they eat it. They shall eat the flesh that night, roasted on the fire. With unleavened bread and bitter herbs, they shall eat it. Do not eat any of it raw or boiled in water, but roasted its head with its legs and its inner parts. You shall let none of it remain until the morning. Anything that remains until the morning, you shall burn. In this manner, you shall eat it with your belt fastened, your sandals on your feet, your staff in your hand, and you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. For I will pass through or pass over the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and on all the gods of Egypt. I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. The blood shall be assigned for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. Amen. The next day, John the Baptist saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Get rid of the old yeast so that you may be a new unleavened batch as you really are. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. This is God's word. Amen. So as we consider these verses in Exodus chapter 12, um, you know, I just want us to answer three questions. This is a what, no what, uh, uh, what, so what, now what structure. And I just, I want us to first observe what's going on in the scripture. So often we read this and we think we know the details, but I'd like for us to just examine um, what's happening here. That's the what portion. Then I want us to get the significance of this. Why is this so important? And then I want us to apply these verses to our lives. What, so what, now what? First, the what? Well, by the time we get to Exodus chapter 12, the entire book has just been on the move. You recall in Exodus 1, Pharaoh enslaved Israel, committed state-sponsored infanticide, and at the worst possible moment, it seems, in Exodus 2, a baby is born. A deliverer, Moses. As an adult, Moses learned the wrong way to deliver God's people. He murdered an Egyptian, fled to Midian for the next 40 years as a shepherd. And then in Exodus 4, the Lord conscripted Moses, a very reluctant Moses, to confront Pharaoh. And and Moses then went to Pharaoh and warned him that unless he freed Israel, a series of increasingly severe plagues would smite the land. And each plague represented an assault over Egyptian idolatry. Each Plague represented God's sovereign control over creation. And as the plagues intensified, Pharaoh's heart hardened. And and there was a point where where it says Moses pleaded with Pharaoh, but Pharaoh still refused. And and in Exodus chapter 11, you can read it in verse 8, the scripture says that finally, Moses was just so frustrated, he left Pharaoh in hot anger. Exodus eleven eight, 8. And then we come to chapter 12 with the 10th plague. And, and you've been reading the drama of all of the plagues that have gone before, and now you get to this climactic plague, and the reader's expecting to to, to read some, you know, dramatically told, drawn-out story along the lines of, you know, the Roman legions who are massing against the Germanic tribes as Maximus is getting ready to loose the arrows and unleash hell, and it's going to be really dramatically told. None of that. How many verses actually speak of the plague itself? Look, look, look at chapter 12. just one. Verse 29, that's it. So, so leading up to verse 29, 28 verses, and then following 29 in verses 43 to 51, are instructions about a meal. It's the food channel. I find that fascinating. The Lord wanted Israel to memorialize a meal to remember this devastating plague. And in verses 128, it's the menu. Now let's just look through the details, because it's easy to pass over these details. Like in verse two. uh, the Lord says that this event is going to establish an entire new calendar year for the Hebrew people. So, so whatever calendar they were observing, God wanted his people, you know, this is going to be, you know, your version of January 1, except, you know, for us it would be as if we would change January 1, the new year to July 4th. That's what we see here. This event establishes a new year. And then uh I paused at verses 4 and 5 for emphasis, but did you notice that on the menu could be a one-year-old lamb or goat? I, I just overlooked that. I don't know why, but I didn't realize that. Oh, okay, a lamb or a goat. Without blemish, and then proportionate to the size of the Hebrew family. So if a family's too small, then they can eat with their neighbor. And verse 6 says the meal is to occur at home at twilight. So everybody in their homes, they eat at the same time, all throughout the nation. Verse 7 says after the animal has been slaughtered, blood must be smeared on the doorposts and the lintel of the house. More on that later. Verse 10 says that the animal has to be roasted, not boiled and not raw. And any leftovers have to be burned. And they are to eat it with with bitter herbs. See, as as a mental trigger to the bitterness of slavery. And they are to eat it with unleavened bread. No, no, it cannot be yeasty bread. Why? Because you don't have time to prepare bread with yeast. In fact, in fact, you eat it with your bags packed at the door. You are to be dressed and ready to go. You, and you keep your shoes on. Now, you know that in, uh, in many households across the world today, and particularly in the ancient world, when you stepped into the front door, why, well, you, you took your shoes off. But here, you keep your shoes on inside. And when you eat, don't dawdle. Eat it in haste. And once, uh, once again, this lamb's blood on the doorpost and lintel. What was that about? What was that about? Well, it, uh, here's what it wasn't about. It wasn't to keep God from getting mixed up. God needs no sign. Look at verse 13. The sign is for you. The bloody doorpost is a sign for Israel. It's a public declaration of faith and trust. I want dinner with God. I am putting my lot with the Lord, the giver of life. You see, if you don't want Thanksgiving dinner with the creator of life, think about that for just a minute. If you don't want dinner with the one who gave you life, listen, we cannot live life on our own terms. And the instructions continue. Stay ready, but stay inside. So don't load the car. You stay inside. Verse 22, none of you shall go out of his door until morning. Furthermore, this memorial meal is to be observed annually, verse 24. You shall observe this rite as a statute for you and your sons forever. And, and while you are preparing the meal, they're in the home, your children are watching you, and they ask, why are we doing this? Verse 26. What do you mean by this service? Why are we preparing this meal? And that is the, that's the teachable moment for the parents in this home-based church are to function as the pastors and the priests. And you shall say, verse 27, it is the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover, for He passed over the houses of the people of Israel In Egypt, when he struck the Egyptians but spared our houses. So, this original act of worship did not occur in the tabernacle or the temple. That would be later. Here, it first began at home. With the parents functioning as the clergy, explaining the history, interpreting the history. This is who God is, children. And this is what he's doing. And this is who he says we are. You are not who others say you are. You are not who you say you are. You are who our creator says you are. And then comes verse 29. There it is. The most severe plague described most succinctly. There's no drama. There's nothing sensational. It's swift. It's complete. It's sweeping. Verse 29. At midnight, the Lord struck down all the firstborn in the land of Egypt. From the firstborn of Pharaoh who sat on his throne to the firstborn of the captive who is in the dungeon. All the firstborn of the livestock. Egypt was devastated. Verse 30 says, Pharaoh rose up at night. And He and all his servants and all the Egyptians, there was a great cry in Egypt, for there was not a house where someone was not dead. And you know immediately, Pharaoh summoned Moses and Aaron get out. Just leave. Up. Verse 31, go out from among my people, both you and the people of Israel, go and serve the Lord as you've said. Take your flocks, take your herds as you've said and be gone. And then he said this in verse 32. Do you see that? And bless me also. Huh. Huh. Now he wants a blessing? What what blessing could Moses possibly leave with Pharaoh? Pharaoh had once asked, who is the Lord? And over the previous months, one scholar says up to two years, the Lord had been revealing himself to Pharaoh, but he he didn't want to hear it. Well, now he wants to know, but it's too late. And in the end, Pharaoh had to accept everything on God's terms. He had to accept everything on God's terms at the end. So, why not surrender at the beginning? So, there was no blessing for Pharaoh. And the fact is, he really didn't want a blessing. He didn't want God. He just wanted relief. He wanted the blessing without the community. He just wanted the plagues gone. And we know this because, you know, after the immediate shock of this final plague subsided, what's Pharaoh do? He pursues Israel to the Red Sea. Yeah, I, I look at this I, and I, I'm, I'm, I'm convicted because sometimes I'm just tempted to want God to bless me. And then I want him to go away so I can just do whatever it is I want. I want the gifts. The giver is optional. But it will not work like that, church family. God's blessing is for those who actively trust in his promises. And the only blessed people in Exodus 12 were those who stayed inside all night in a home having a meal whose doorpost and lintel were smeared with the blood of the main course. Yeah. And this is what I want you to see too you know in those homes there were there were those whose confidence was rather strong right and then there were those whose confidence was weak what's going to happen we're scared it feels like there's death in the air question who was more delivered neither they were both delivered see so so it, you know, it's not as if my emotion of confidence made me more saved than concern. Because you're not saved by the emotional level of your confidence. You're rescued by your deliverance based on the promises of a God who does not lie. Yes, sir. And Exodus 12 teaches that this deliverance This deliverance came through the bloody death of an innocent victim. Salvation through judgment and mercy. And Egypt was so devastated that they begged Israel to leave. They they gave them gold. They gave them silver, jewelry, clothing. Just Get out. Just leave. Verse 36. And the Lord had given the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians, so that they let them have whatever they asked. Thus they plundered the Egyptians. And verse 40 says that the time that Israel had been in Egypt was 430 years to the day they were delivered. And then in verses 43 to 50, we have this statute rehearsed again concerning this meal, this important meal, this this great Thanksgiving meal. Verses 50 and 51 conclude, all the people of Israel did just as the Lord commanded Moses and Aaron. And on that very day, the Lord brought the people of Israel out of the land of Egypt by their hosts. That's the what, Exodus 12. Now the so what. The so what is this. It's the big idea. God rescues us from judgment so that we can display his mercy. God rescues us from judgment so that we can display his mercy. Salvation is through, through judgment and mercy and God, re- God mercifully rescues us from judgment so that we can joyfully display his mercy. God's mercy rescues us for mercy. And that leads us to the significance of the lamb's blood. See, the significance is in that phrase, salvation through judgment and mercy, because Passover is a meal celebrating judgment and mercy. First, it's a meal telling us something about God. God wants table fellowship with his people. God wants community. God who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He who is ultimate community desires community. And we were created for community. And so Israel was released from captivity for community. And table fellowship represents this. Passover represents and occurs uh, as uh, as a part of God's broader narrative of scripture. Creation Fall, redemption, restoration. Those four words capture the entire narrative of the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. Cre- creation, fall, redemption, restoration. God created this world as a temple garden for community, but sin disrupted it. Yeah, yeah. And, and and every crevice of creation has been spoiled. And some may be thinking, oh, there's that preacher again talking about sin. Well, I'm a preacher. What do I mean by sin? I mean moral crimes against God and others. That's what I mean by sin. Uh, Greg Kokel uh, is a teacher, and he leads a ministry called Stand to Reason, str.org, str.org. And it's a group that writes curriculum about why Christianity makes sense. And Greg Kokel speaks of the time he had a spiritual conversation about Christianity with, with someone, and he used that dreaded S word, sin, and the guy started giving him pushback about sin. And, and Greg Kokel just, you know, he's a masterful teacher, so calm, so disarming. This is what he said. He said, well, well, my friend, let, let me just ask you something. Do you think people who commit moral crimes ought to be punished? And the guy thought for a moment and said, well, yeah. And he happened to be a prosecuting attorney. Yes. Yes, I do. Kokel said, so do I. I agree with you. Second question. Have you ever committed any moral crimes? There was a slight pause. Well, now he was getting personal. Yeah, I I guess I have, he admitted. Kokel confessed so have I. So now we have a problem, friend, don't we? We both believe that those who commit moral crimes ought to be punished, and we both believe that we've committed moral crimes. I call that bad news. And, and Kokel says, he, he, he comments that in less than 60 seconds, a remarkable thing happened. He said, I didn't have to convince him that he was a sinner and that he deserved to be punished. He confessed it himself. I was just tapping into a deep intuition that every person shares, and that is self-knowledge of guilt. Kokel said, I didn't do it arrogantly, or I wasn't trying to be obnoxious or condescending. I freely admitted that I was in the same trouble that he was. And here's the deal. You cannot wish a moral crime away. You can't. Yeah. You know you, you, can't, you can't just say to sexual assault offenders, "Well, you seem sorry. We'll just forgive, let it go. No jail time, call it a day." That's not justice. If that occurred, there'd be no deterrent. It would demean victims. Moral crimes incur debts that must be paid. And if a rapist or a murderer or a terrorist doesn't pay, society will. You can't just wish sinful behavior away. Sin creates a debt that has to be paid for. And, and, you know, we say, well, doesn't that just seem severe to have the kind of punishment for, you know, I, I, I'm, not, I'm not a rapist. I'm not a murderer. Okay, I've, I've said, you know, dirty thoughts and dirty words, and I've done some dirty deeds, but but I'm not, I'm not, I'm not that bad. Do you see where we're going with that? So God's holiness does not discriminate. James chapter 2 says that whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point, is guilty of breaking all of it. Because that's the standard. Well, that's, that's, that's perfection. Yes. He is a perfect God. He's a holy God. And when moral crimes incur, debts must be paid. Sin creates a debt that has to be accounted for. And here's the deal. In Exodus chapter 12, Pharaoh was not the only debtor. Israel was just as guilty. Ezekiel chapter 20, verse 7. Ezekiel 20, verse 7, tells us this. Cast away the detestable things your eyes feast on. So they not only were worshiping idols, but they were enjoying it. Every one of you, and do not defile yourselves with the idols of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. Paul says this clearly in Romans 3. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. If you're new here at Windsor Road, you've come to a church of sinners, and the pastor is one too. Moral crimes create a debt that must be paid, and God is calling the note. That's the judgment. And Our salvation is a salvation wrought by judgment and mercy. God the just and the justifier offers to pay the penalty himself. And he accepts the substitutionary payment in the lamb. So the choice is mine. I either can pay myself or I can let the substitute do my work for me. And that night in Exodus 12, a fellowship meal with God rescued these people. Think about that. Is that not merciful? You mean I don't have to do 50 push ups? No. You know, I don't have to to serve in the nursery 10 years of Sundays? No. What do I need to do? Come to dinner. And I'll provide the main course, God says. Who would refuse that? Well, people did. Because by the time we get to Exodus chapter 12, in every house, Egypt or Israel, there was either a dead person or a dead lamb. And God wanted his people to reenact this history. And in reenacting the event, their faith was strengthened. And their identity was reiterated. Ritual does that. You go over it and over it and over it and over it again so that it gets locked in. And is that not the point of advertising? <laughs> My political mailings have now become retail mailings. Why? Why? Because up to this very moment, marketing experts are holed up, working Sundays, strategizing ways to remind me that my wants are really needs and that they have a product to fill that need. And the endless repetition of uh, TV commercials, that's not just for entertainment. It's meant to create a world which orbits a product. And the Passover meal was meant to remind Israel to orbit God. And years later, Another prophet as unto Moses would come on the scene. A rabbi, a miracle worker, one who spoke with authority, Jesus of Nazareth. And John the Baptist saw him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. One co-equal with God stood at a Passover table the night before he was crucified, and he reconstituted this supper of Exodus 12. And the Gospels are quick to note. And when you read the Gospels, it's, again, something I hadn't thought about until I actually went back to read it. The Gospels are quick to note that Jesus took bread and broke it and passed it and took the cup. And, 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 but there's no mention of him passing a lamb. And one scholar noted, what's a Passover without a lamb? And then he observed Lamb wasn't on the table because the lamb was at the table. God rescues us by judging his son so that we might display his mercy. And Robert Smith Jr. learned that it takes the death of the son to forgive the death of a son. And the New Testament book of Hebrews reminds us that this sacrificial lamb and goat and later in the temple, the sacrifice of bulls, really can't atone for sin. Right, right. It takes more than a one-year-old lamb to cleanse my moral crimes.
0: Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Mine too.
1: And there's nothing fictitious about this, too, church. Francis Schaeffer uh, was a pastor and a philosopher, and he used to ask this crucial question to people to, to grasp the historical reality of Christianity, here's the question. I pose it for you all. Do you believe that if you had been there when Christ was crucified, you could have reached out to touch the cross and picked up a splinter in your finger? Of course you know the point wasn't just the wood, but the bloodstained wood. Do you believe that if Jesus offered his life in your place as a sacrifice for your moral crimes? You believe that if you'd been at the crucifixion and you'd have placed your hand on the cross, you would have been able to feel the broken body of your bloodied Savior. That's how real enough, that's how real it was. Real enough to touch. Real enough to see. And that's how real our salvation is. It's what God has done in history to rescue us out of the Egypt of our sin. And so every week here at Windsor Road Christian Church, just like the early Christians did 2,000 years ago, we remember in worship the great Thanksgiving feast. We gather as free people, and we are most free when we are in communion with Him. And we repeat this ritual over and over again every week to remember what God did in Christ And to be reminded that we are who God says we are. And every time we have communion, we remind ourselves that the sinless substitute has done our work for us. And that's why we can gather here. And we need this ritual. We do, because we need to be reminded. And we need it, especially when we grieve, especially when we've been to a cemetery. Especially in failure. For this ritual of the Lord's Supper declares that my failures are not fatal and my death is not final. Failure, sin, and judgment do not have the last word, mercy does. Would you like to leave Egypt for a Thanksgiving meal with Christ? Would you? Well, I'd like to invite you to that here right now. I'd like to invite you to come to Christ to follow him. I'd like to ask you to bow your heads, please. And I'll, I want to invite you to do business with, with our creator. What is he breaking your heart about this morning? And perhaps you've been coming here for quite some time but you've never really said Lord, I want you to be the king of my life. I want to leave Egypt. I'm tired of slavery. I'm tired of bondage. I'm tired of resentments. I need forgiveness. I want you to be king of my life. I want you to do for me what I could never do myself. I need mercy, and I trust you. And I trust your provision and your son and his life represented by his body and blood. I trust you, Lord, and I love you. Just keep your heads bowed. I want you to pray that if you've not. And if you have, I want you to to pray it again and thank God that you're his child. I'm going to be in the fireside room afterwards, and I want to speak with you more. I want to speak with you not only about a communion, which we'll share in a moment, I want to talk to you about the ritual of baptism. We'll learn more about that and how it's symbolized in the crossing of the Red Sea. But for now, our elders will be in the fireside room to pray with you too if you have any questions. We want to talk with you. It's time to do business with God as we reenact the great thanksgiving this intentional time we spend each Sunday to remember with gratitude Christ's substitutionary sacrifice for us. The the message of the great Thanksgiving supper is not, you'd better be thankful. No, no, because some of us are here today and we don't feel that. Here's the message. The message is Christ died, Christ was buried, Christ rose, Trust Him and enjoy your forgiveness that He has brought. Enjoy His love. You don't have to pay. Just trust Him. Amen.